Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shear. If you got a slight delay in the beginning, it's because we were coordinating the audio and the video. <coughs> Apologies. The Nishmas and of Tom Shalom Ben Yeshua and Gabriel and Melchel Vashalom and Balachayim Tevim Aaron is given the commandment to kindle the Meneda. We have a slight dispute whether or not the Meneda must be lit by a Kayan or Hadloka Bizar Kshada. Lighting by the simple Jew, not a Kayan, but it's still Kasha. We see, for example, that the Menera does not have to always be lit in the Kaidish, although that's where its set place is, but it has been brought out into the courtyard. As we see clearly by time of the Hashmanayim. With the miracle where they found the clean oil, the pure oil, and they lit the Meneda. This is not necessarily with the Besamikdash all intact, all in the same place where it needed to be. And therefore there is an opinion that says that it was lit outside in the courtyard, and this the, that way it could be lit by anybody. Then there's other missions that say no, it cannot be lit by anybody else but a Kayin. And we will attempt to discuss what does it mean that the Kayin is the one that kindles the Menorah. What is the Menorah? <coughs> Questions asked. Is the Menorah needed for light? It didn't bring light into the Besamidash. It had Besamidash had, according to, again, two opinions, whether it was a stone that lit up the room or whether it was a little window (coughs) that lit up the room. So the Menorah was not there for light. What purpose, therefore, did the Menorah serve? We're also going to discuss this week's parsha, the mitzvah of Karim Pesach. And Pesach Sheni. And the journeys. The journeys of the Jews throughout the desert. What were they doing? How are they doing? How is it working? We translate when you ignite the lamps. However, 
an aliyah, ya'aleh, is to go up, to ele, to lift them up. So whereas we're talking about lighting, kindling the menorah, we're using a word, the Torah is using a word, baha'alischa. When you ascend, the sages derive from this that there were steps that lifted, that lit, led, uh, lit, led up to the menorah. The Kain Godel, who dealt with the menorah, with the cleaning of it, putting it in, and setting it up, wore on his forehead what was called the tzitz. On it was inscribed the words Kedesh Hashem. There's a special, not a special, a separate prohibition in the Torah that the Kayin Godel may not lift his hand above the tzitz. It's a prohibition. He has a mitzvah to do anything else, a mitzvah leisah, he do other things that he not, may not do. This is a mitzvah leisah, the Kayin Godel may not lift his hand above the tzitz. Hence, the menorah needed to be tended to, so that not to lift his hand above his head, they had steps, so the Kayin was looking down at the menorah. Now, truth to be told, if you do the measurements of the height of Aaron and the height of the Meneda, this doesn't at all make sense. Aaron was substantially taller than the Meneda. And therefore, there was no way he had to lift his hand above his head to have to light the Meneda. But yet, these steps were placed in front of the Meneda. And the Kayan had to use the steps. So even if he was the Chathchila, to begin with, taller than the Meneda, he needed to go even higher and really practically bend down to set up the Meneda. Do we need it for light? So what was the kindling of the menorah? It was a metaphor for the lamp of Hashem. What's the lamp of Hashem? The neshama. This was made to light the neshama. The light in Hashem. And therefore, a Jew or the Meneda being kindled by the Kayan was with a purpose to light just like the Kayan is lighting the Meneda. The Jew needs to light the soul of a fellow Jew with Tayyar Mitzvah. And so too, the step that stood in front of the Meneda teaches us that when a person ignites a godly spark in his fellow Jew, the igniter, in order to light somebody, some other 
soul needs to ascend as well. He in his, in his own right, she in, his, in her own right, need to go up as well. Just as the Kayan would go up a step in order to prepare the Meneda. So when a person takes upon themselves to kindle a neshama of a fellow Jew, they themselves need to be elevated in every aspect. And from this elevated state, they'll succeed in their mission. Because I can't tell you to raise up higher if you're not if I'm not raising myself up higher. I need to raise my own bar in order for me to ask you to raise yours. And what is Mesha told? Mesha is given a commandment. David Allah speak to Adam and Marta love and tell him. When you ignite the lamps, the seven lamps should enlighten, should illuminate toward the face of the Meneda. The Gemara tells us that the Meneda is symbolic to Teda study. And therefore, the Chachamim taught one who wants to become wise should turn to the south while David Shmeneser. Where do you know that from? Because it says that the Meneda was in Durham. <laughs> I have a question from an almost one year old. In that case, if the Meneda symbolizes Teda and Teda study, if you look at the two brothers, Aaron and Mesha, Mesha is the one that symbolizes Teda. Mesha got Mesha received the Teda in Sinai. Mesha gave over the Teda to the Eden. So how can we then say how how is it and why is it then that Aaron was given the task to light the Meneda rather than Mesha? We learn from here, therefore, Teda is a very beautiful Chochmah. Many people have studied Teda just because of the knowledge, just because of the stimulating thought pattern. I told the story probably a hundred times for the two fellows that used to learn Chavrus every day. And one day one says to the other, he says, I'm making a bar mitzvah the first time. I have all my daughters, now I have my only son. I'm making his bar mitzvah the Shabbos in our shul. I know you never daven in our shul. But maybe the Shabbos come down with us and join us for the bar mitzvah. And he says, ah. He says, what do you mean? My Chavrus for so many years. He says, I'll tell you the truth. He says, uh, I don't go to shul. You don't go to shul. Why don't you go to shul? I don't go to shoes, I'm not Jewish. Not Jewish? What do you mean, not Jewish? 
you learn Gemara like a Yiddish cup. We learn together. We, he said, I love the Torah. I love the study. I love the stimulation. I love everything. It's great. But, but, but wait a minute. We learned in the Gemara that if a guy keeps Shabbos, he's Chayat Misa. And I see you every Shabbos dressed up, keeping... Ah, before I walk out of my house, <coughs> I put a key in my pocket. And, so I'm carrying. Now I'm to carry on Shabbos. I'm a Chal Shabbos. Ah, he says, excuse me. We have an Erev in our town. Ah, he says, I don't hold from the Erev. So therefore he's allowed to carry. Therefore he, he's not allowed to carry, and therefore he's in Chal Shabbos, and therefore he's not Chayim. Teda, the gist of the story, Teda is stimulating, Teda has got tremendous chokhmah. You'll see sometimes a scientist that has a breakthrough discovery in medicine. His eyes will bulge out. We found it! You'll see a mathematician that will finally find a solution to a, a very difficult equation. He'll grab his head and say, Wow, I don't believe I actually put this together. But when you see a Yid, tell another Yid a good word in Tera, something deep in Tera, the reaction is, Wow! And they smile. And they're overjoyed. And it doesn't matter. I can tell you from my personal experience, people that I speak to on a daily basis, the simplest of simpletons and the most learned of learned. When you tell them a good word that speaks to them, as we say, they light up. They light up. That's what Tata does. Which is great. Which is fantastic. But... But, there's more to it. Much more to it. It's no, that's nowhere near enough. When Ar lit the Mineta, he couldn't do it one, two, three, dig, 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 and that's it, light the Mineta. He needed to hold his candle there, by this wick, until the wick totally was enveloped and was rising up on its own. And therefore the wick itself was burning now its own flame. The same way also a person. They can study and they can understand Teda. But the Nishama needs to be ignited by his own Teda study and by others. And therefore, if this is lacking, the flame is lacking, there's nothing, there's not yet with the Menera. What's a flame? <coughs> Dry cleaner. What's a flame? <coughs> Excuse me. A flame is a combustion of fuel. Flame of the Menera, so therefore represents... Tefillah. During Tefillah, what does one think about? What does one contemplate? 
Godless Habele, the greatness of God, and the lowliness of man. By doing so, by contemplating these thoughts, contemplating the greatness of God and how our own insignificance is so deep person therefore can appreciate the great opportunity that God gave us to actually approach and reach out and achieve a desire to connect with God how? Through Teda, through mitzvahs. God graciously grants the person additional opportunities to find the connection which he goes out and he seeks. And yet, there are still those few Jews, the few Yidden out there, very few and far between, that are not reaching out to grasp. Can we blame them in today's society? Can we blame them in today's world? I was driving back from Mitzayim today, I was going on the Belt Parkway. And the Belt Parkway, if anyone knows about Brooklyn, is only for cars. Trucks are not allowed to go on Belt Parkway. Well, one such truck said, I don't care. And said truck was doing substantial speed down the Belt Parkway and without knowing how high his truck was and without, without noticing how low the overpass was, he physically took the whole top of his, his truck off. Like a sardine can, for those who know what that is. And when you drive by, you'll see the truck is past the overpass and the entire roof of the truck rolled up like aluminum foil underneath the overpass. And when he was stuck under the the overpass and the cop said, what did you think you were doing? He said, what am I doing? He says, I'm delivering this bridge. I don't know where it goes. The worst part is the traffic he caused. The entire eastbound was now bumper to bumper. Because you had the tow trucks, you had the truck itself, you had the this, and the police, and licensing, and So they all turned it from three lanes to one lane, and it's going bumper to bumper. No. And everyone going past... either said or had some thought, a derogatory expression or thought about said given truck driver. And you can't blame them. They were stuck now in this traffic. They had to get somewhere. It's not exactly cool outside. So it was not pleasant. You caused a lot of 
Agmus Nefesh. What bothers me is a disease in today's society called rubbernecking. What's rubbernecking? The westbound was also slowed down. Because everybody has to know what's going on. So when you drive by, you have to slow down, you have to practice stepping your brakes so you can look to see the scene. And of course, the brilliant of brilliance is that take out their phones and are taking pictures of it. <laughs> I would say take out their cameras, but nobody would know what I'm talking about. They take out their phones and taking pictures and videos. Shake the edits. You have a traffic behind you because of this. And as soon as you pass this rubberneck spot, traffic was flowing. There was not a car on the road. But yet people slowed down and caused this effect. This is how we need to understand we affect another person. And this is without doing anything. Isaac turned my neck to see the car accident. Human nature, no more, no less. But I caused traffic because of it. <laughs> and the problem was, society is as such, it's acceptable. It's acceptable. I'm so upset I got stuck in this traffic because of stupid rubberneckers, but yet, when I got to that point, I turned to look. I didn't say, hey, guy behind me has to slow down because I'm rubbernecking. I did the same that the guy in front of me did. Partially out of my own curiosity, and partially because <laughs> I know the other one, has, it's, it's a bad thing, it's a bad attribute for his part, but for me, it's not the same rule. Tata does not translate that way. Tata translates if it's the same, not if, as it's the same rule across the board. Every Jew is a guarantor for a fellow Jew. And therefore... There's no such thing that I don't care or know or understand what's happened to the other Jew. If something in happens to a fellow Jew, we need to reach out and to help and to repair and to appease and to extinguish any animosities and hatred and anger and not just extinguish it, but totally quell it from our system. We need to always understand, this is what Teda dictates to us. Teda umaisim tevim. A yid needs to learn Teda, and a yid needs to perpetuate his Teda. Perpetuate what they learned, and to make it one with them. For through the learning of Tera, we are uniting ourselves with God Himself. And the wonderful video has frozen.
and it's totally hapless. There's nothing I can do about it. And Hashem spoke to Moshe in the Sinai Desert. Restarting, or is it? Yes. Okay. On the second month, as the Eid left, Eden left Mitzrayim. In the first month, Lamer. So, the second year, in the first month, saying, "Vayasu v'neisrolos aposach." let the Jews make the carbon Pesach in the appointed its appointed time. Pashbaleitzcha uh, itself, Bamidbar Nosei Baleitzcha, three pashas into Bamidbar. The tale is telling us now that the Bnei Yisrael offered a carbon Pesach, one time in the desert. And this took place in the month of Nisan, which is a month prior to the events that are related in the beginning of Chumash Bamidbar. Rashi explains, Ein muktam umuchar batera. Tera does not have Anything chronologically established. However, since that being the case, and it's a kalal godel that ain't a muktamukhabatera, we're not concerned with earlier or later or whatever chronologically took place. The Tata took a liberty here. This computer the Torah took the liberty here and and didn't start with a Dover Shebignai did not start with something that's derogatory about the Jews. So they're not the shame of the Eden. What was the shame of the Eden? Forty years in the desert, and not once did they bring a carbon Pesach. Only once. That's the shame of the Eden. That's the fault of the Eden. Let us go back. And let us hear from the Almighty Himself. When did He want, after the Karim Pesach was brought in Mitzrayim, when did He want the next Karim Pesach? 
And Hashem said clearly, when you are in your land, when you enter at Yisrael, and you're settled, and you have your temple set up, then you bring a Karim Pesach. <coughs> Says Rashi that it was so to seem that the mitzvah of Karim Pesach was contingent on entering an Israel. And therefore, if they did not bring a Karim Pesach for 39 years in the Midbar, what Gnai? What kind of shame is there to the Jews? There was no khayf, there was no obligation. When was there an obligation? In the second year, Hashem said, do it now also. So we see that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted it, He said so. If God would not have commanded it then, we would have waited for the previous commandment, which was when we get into Eretz Yisrael. So then why do you want to say that it was shame on the Yidden for not bringing any other Karbanis Pesach? Mitzvahs that you only do in the land of Israel. Trumas, Maisris. A slew of mitzvahs that can only happen in Eretz Yisrael. Karim Pesach, according to what we just said, was also contingent on going into Eretz Yisrael. However, however, the second year in Midbar, second year in the desert, after it is in Sayyim, HaKadosh Baruch says, Lassaposach, to bring the carbon Pesach. Oh, so it's not totally an obligation contingent only in Eretz Yisrael. Zestach that would bring it in the Midbar. So Makara, what happened here? Why do you think that only when you go into Eretz Yisrael you have to bring? If I got Baruch Hu saw to it already that you did bring here. We did have that boundary was crossed, that limitation was surpassed. We were not limited to only have the Karim Pesach in the desert. No, this deal. Why did you not ask? for the rest of the years. 
Nachmer. In our parsha, he is not happy with the shame of the Jews that they didn't bring a carbon pesach in the desert. Nachmer. Oh no, here goes the video again. We know that when the Karim Pesach was brought in the desert, unfortunately, there were a few Yidden that were Tommy the Nefesh, Tommy the Mace. They were impure. And therefore, they were not able to sacrifice the Karim Pesach. However, to say the least, they were disparaged and they were totally disgruntled and felt they were let down. And they gathered together and they presented their case to Mesha. And they told Mesha, Loma Nigara. Why are we any worse? Why are we worse than any other Jew? Why is it that not, we're not being allowed to bring a Karim Pesach because we became Tamil and Nefesh? We were Tamil and Nefesh only because we were Tamil and Nefesh only because We had to carry the bones of Yasef or whatever it was that they had to do. But the bottom line was they could not bring the Karim Pesach Bismani. So they came with a battle cry, Lomani Gora. Why are we any worse than anyone else? And Akadosh Baruch Hu, and Moshe says, I, I, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. He says, come, let's talk to God, and let's ask God, and listen, hear what God tells us. And lo and behold, Meisha presents the case to God. And God tells Meisha exactly what to do. He's giving them a second chance. Karbun Pesach can be brought on Pesach Sheni. <coughs> a few weeks ago, it was Pesach Sheni, a dollar a year. And we talked about it, I believe, by this year. Pesach Sheni, a new concept was created because these people had this tremendous yearning to do a mitzvah of Hashem. How powerful, who is there like the Jewish nation that were in such pain they couldn't commit a commandment, they couldn't perform a commandment of Hashem they literally came as a protest say why are we worse and to which as we said Moshe says come hear what Hashem has to say about this and HaKadosh Baruch Hu establishes for the Eden Pesach Sheni Chedesh Ir Yudalit Ir again is Pesach Sheni
therein lies the bush of the Eden. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Because there's a question that bothers me all my life. You're saying that the bush of the shame of the Yidden was the fact that they didn't ask for the Karim Pesach more than once in the desert. And we know that there were, we learned this from because there were people that did not have the chance, to, the opportunity to bring the Karim Pesach and they said, Lomani Gora. Where were they? The next Pesach. These zealots that came and asked, why were we not able to do the first Karim Pesach? First Pesach. And their response, the response to them was, you have a second Pesach. They saw more than anyone else how great this is, the Mitzvah. And yet the next year they didn't start the same plan, the same program, the same pro- pro- protest. They were not walking around with placards and they were not banging their feet and screaming and yelling, We want Pesach! Mainly everybody else. Everybody else said, Okay, we did it in Mitzrayim. And God commanded us this once, so we did it then too. It came easy, it went easy. But you contingency of Yiddit that came to ask of Hash of Mesha, Lomanigora, where were you for 39 years? Why were you not causing an uprising and telling everybody, Rabbi say, what's wrong with you? Why are you being so complacent? We didn't bring the cotton Pesach Yidalitness. Um. This is where the shame lies. I talking 39 years they didn't make this out battle cry so to hide the shameful fact Bamidba begins in a later part and then now comes back to the original part all those that can't sleep at night because of the question sorry Enkanamokum The data tells us that the Jews traveled in the desert with an Aniak covet, clouds of glory around them. How long did they travel? (laughs) 
קדמים. How long was the journey? How long did they stop? How long did they camp? Each of B'nai Yisrael's journeys and encampments was the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted it to be. Exactly what God wanted. No more, no less. No one else was able to have any say in the matter or control when they stopped, when they started. It's off Mashem. No. Lama Kukn was Tzach. Yidin had a Mishkan. Beautiful tabernacle. So it's not called a tabernacle, it's called something else. Um, they had a Mishkan. And the Mishkan was in parts, in pieces, and was assembled each time that they stopped. Every time they camped, they assembled the Mishkan. Whenever they left camp, they had to disassemble the Mishkan. So, this was quite a job, by the way. It was not a simple uh, Lego piece in two or three. But the cloud that led the way and every time the cloud came to rest, the Jews encamped there. And as we said, all the Levites unloaded the wagons and assembled the Mishkan. Now how long was an encampment? How long did they actually spend? So the truth is, there was no how longs. It's to say, how long is the Chinese name? And now became a racist joke. Um... There were times where they camped for an entire year. There were times they camped for a day. Or just overnight. But each location the Levium jumped up and they did their thing. They set up the entire Mishkan. Quite a job. Quite a task. Not knowing 
if this will be for a day, for a month, for a year or for 19 years, it was in one point. And when they left, they had to dismantle it. As soon as the cloud started to move, they quickly dismantled and followed it. So now, since this is all on God's bidding, to assemble and dissemble, they could, they could have just given a calendar and told them how, when and what, where, but they didn't. And God traveled with Eden. So sometimes a day, a night, overnight, sometimes a year, 19 years, there was a reason. There was a reason God had for doing this. That particular place, that particular time. Godliness is above time and space. So the importance of every any particular encampment wasn't based on how long they were there. The Mishkin therefore was assembled every time they camped, regardless if they were staying a day, a month, a year. As Jews, we know every step that we take in any given direction is predetermined in God's divine providence. Not only in the desert, where you saw it with your naked eye, but anywhere, at any time. And therefore, one needs to recognize that our journey in life is planned by God. And God transcends time and space. He doesn't, it's not Negea. We therefore need to create a Mishkan. We need to create a Mishkan. And by creating a Mishkan, we therefore By creating a Mishkan, we make a dwelling place for God. I, a person doesn't know how long they live. A person doesn't know when their next moment is. A person doesn't know what they're in the, created in the world for. But yet, this is the mission that we have. The mission of continuing and persevering and using every opportunity to unite with Kaddish Baruch Ain Seif Baruch with His Chochmah Ain Seifis, His infinite wisdom and His infinite existence.
And we hope to transcend this to connect all time and space. Moshe was a very, very loyal and faithful shepherd. Moshe Davin's Kuma Shem Vyafutsai Vachavi Yunusum Sanachami Panacho. Arise, Rabbinishalim. Your enemies should be scattered, and those who hate you should flee from you. Rashi, the Bechamish, the Mikra's champion, says this is a head scratcher. May those who hate you flee from you. Doesn't mean hate God, but hate a Jew. Anyone who hates a Jew and who hates the Jewish people hates the one that said that Amar Elam that spoke and created a world. Why did Moshe pray that God should make his own his enemies flee? When he was only alluding to the enemies of the Jews. Should have asked directly. Let the enemies enemies of the Jews flee. In this way, Moshe asked, God save the Jewish people. Even if they are deficient in their worship, unworthy of the salvation of their own merit. Moshe demanded that even so, the enemies should be forced to flee, because they are God's enemies. And the enemies of the Jews are not concerned with the extent of the Jewish people's devotion to Tehra Mitzvah. And they'll attribute the Jews' suffering to their misdeeds. They will not do that, I'm sorry. They know, however, the Jewish people are called children of God. Therefore, Moshe insinuates that if they succeed in harming the Jews and God, Chassid doesn't save them, it's a Bechil Hashem. it'll be. It'll be a desecration of God's name. So therefore, Maisha says, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to desecrate the name of God? Drive away the enemies. Drive away the enemies of yours, God, the ones that hate your children. Even if your children may not be worthy of it, they may not be worthy of a miracle, they may not be worthy of a salvation, they may not be worthy of being helped or saved. 
חס ושלום. And therefore, in your honor, protect the Jewish people. Save them for your own good, for your own sake, for your own honor and glory. And Moshe, as a a loyal, faithful shepherd, who never let down his flock, never let down his flock, Meshach saw to it that he davened for the Yidden in such a way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should protect them. He called Tzara V'Tzukah, he called Nega Machva. And for those that need a Refua Shalema, for those that need direction, for those who need an injection in their amuna, as we cry out, why me? Why me? Why is my life so difficult, Rahman al-Islam? Why am I having such a hard time? Why am I being persecuted? Why did I fall into this rut? Why did I fall into this family, some children ask? that this happens and that happens, I can't live here, it's not good for my own mental health, my own stability. I need to go to therapy, I need to go to this, I need to go to that, I need to be able to find myself. But the main question is on God, why? Why have you done this to me? And you throw in a little of this and a little of that into it, also in the equation, while you're at it. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu, the devoted shepherd, wanted for his fellow, for his flock. Kajbaruch was telling Moshe, I'm going to pass over the mantle, I'm giving over the spirituality that's upon you, giving it over to the Shivim Zikainim. Chazal tell us, Lama Meisha Deima Beisesha. Lema Meisha Deima Beisesha. What was Meisha compared to in that time? Lener to a candle. Shemunach Agabe Menera. That's put on top of Menera. Vedolku Meno Neres Harbe, and it illuminated many different candles. As this continues in our parsha, teaching us the very same lesson. Vleichiser Ere Kulam. Nobody. Was lacking any light. So to Meisha, nothing lacked. When we look at this mushal, it testifies, it's living testimony for the nimshal itself. But the nimshal itself is a little bit difficult to understand. Therefore, we need to tweak this a little bit to be able to understand and grasp it. 
In the case of Mishnah and Iskenim, what was the nest? Why is it necessary to have the parable of the Nair? Everyone understands the Chachma is Davaruchni, spirituality. So when Moshe chose these Kenim from the Chachma and the Ruach that they had, you can't say they were any worse than him. So it's therefore given to understand, explain. Even when it comes to Chachma, the student doesn't always translate everything from the Rav. As close as he feels, and as close as he's connected to the Rav. It's not any worse than the Chachma of the Rav. But yet the Rav stays on his level. He teaches the Talmud and nurtures him from his Chachma. This is if it's a student that's on par with the teacher. But if they're distant from one another, they're far off from one another, so much so that the Rav is way head and shoulders above him, the Rav feels sometimes a little bit degraded and downsized. When the Rav needs to teach his Talmud that's not anywhere near his caliber, he needs to go out of his own spiritual realm and to leave into another one entirely. And this is what causes to search and to bring down different examples of the Talmud. He has to make sure, he has to give down different parables, etc., in order to explain, so that the student should understand it. But this is a belittlement of the the teacher. Meshe Rabbeinu was way head and shoulders above his kingdom. And therefore, you could think, perhaps, that handing over the baton would make a big yurid of Meshe. It didn't affect him at all. How did that not happen? Two ways. First of all, what Chazal tells us, the candle lit and lights up, illuminates many other candles. When you light another candle, it doesn't take anything away from the Nair. Also at that time, after the Chet of the Mis'aininim, when the Yidin came to complain about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Meisha became very weak. Chodhi Yerida, Eitzah Meisha Rabbeinu Rashi says, just a big drop in his status. And he was like a candle. That other candles need to be lit from it. He needed to bring himself down so that he's able to light these candles. You can't take a blowtorch and light a candle. Therefore, it still didn't cause any different effect on Meisha. Meisha, therefore, gives a marshal and he lacks nothing. It says, 
They come Navi be Israel Kimesha. There's no another Navi like Mesha. The fact that he used and was able to give over the baton this way, since it was never they come Navi be Israel Kimesha, they didn't have this very same level and this very same spirituality. Same is also Mesha Anav Yisrael. Mesha was the biggest Anav amongst the Yidin. The Rav explains that Mesha looked at our generation. And he said, if I would be in this generation, I would never be able to have the Amuna that this generation has. The Amuna belief in God that this generation has with all that we go through. And therefore, Mesha Rabbeinu praises this generation to such a level that he himself doesn't feel he could ever have achieved May we take achieve the mission that we are asked to. May we cry out, I believe that Mashiach is coming this moment and thereby being able to raise up to a level which even Meshra bin respected to such an extent that he was humbled. May we be zeichet to hear from Meishu Rabbeinu Tzedek Hadashim Itetetzei this Shabbos in Yerushalayim, watching Arna Kayin Baaleitzchas Anedays with the Rebbe Nesidreinu Vereshenu Shabbat Shalom to all.